well, let's get going into the message series. The series we are kicking off here is entitled this, Don't Go to Church. Don't Go to Church, okay? And, uh, and so I want to ask you this question. How many of you, moment of honesty, I've said this the, over and over. I've said, we're going to be real. We're going to be honest here, okay? How many of you, with, by a show of hands, have ever woken up on Sunday morning and asked yourself this or had this thought? I don't want to go to church today. Anybody ever thought that? Okay, raise it. Some of you thought it this morning. Okay, just be real. You thought it this morning. If you didn't raise your hand, you are either a liar or you are far more spiritual than I am, okay? Okay, like, you just have the thoughts of, I don't really want to go to church today, okay? But what do we mean when we say, I don't want to go to church today? What do, we, what do we really mean when we say that? We're saying, I don't want to go to a building for a service, right? That's what we're saying. I don't really want to get up and go to the building for a service today. That's what we are saying to ourselves. Now, for me, I got up and I went to a building a lot when I was a kid. I grew up as a part of the Assemblies of God. That's the denomination that we're a part of. And the tradition out of the Assemblies of God was that we went to the building a lot, okay? I went to the building for Sunday morning service. I went to the building for Sunday night service. I went Wednesday night for services. Sometimes I go Friday night for services. Sometimes we'd have service all week long, okay? So I went to the building a lot. And if I ever questioned my spirituality, all I had to do was check my attendance records. <laughs> I'm still killing it, right? <laughs> I've been to the building a lot lately. I feel like I'm doing well. Okay. We laugh about it a little bit, but we all kind of can measure our spiritual level a bit that way, don't we? Like, eh, have I been to church lately, you know? There's three times a year when people begin to ask this question. In, in January, they start thinking, ah, I haven't been to church in a while. It's a new year. I should go to church, right? And then we got Easter, Right? And it's like, oh, I, sh I should go to church. And maybe you're, maybe you're here because you came last week. You're like, yeah, I should go another week. Well, let's see if we can make it two weeks. That's awesome. I'm glad you're here, okay? All right? And then there's like September. It's like the summer happens. You've been doing your own thing all summer. And that's like, ah, I should go back to church. But it's sad to me because what I hear people say, I, I never hear people say things like this. Man, I really want to go back to church. I'm feeling called. No, I hear them say, I should go back to church. It's this obligation, like, I, I should go to the building, right? I should go to... The... Is there anything more uninspiring than this I should go to church feeling? This, this obligation, this, this level of spirituality that's showing up to a building for a service? People don't go to buildings for anything much anymore. Like, think about it. Like, they're... Uh, the stadiums are having to work hard to get people to show up to the stadiums because our TVs are just as good to watch sporting events these days, right? People don't go to movies as much because the home theaters are just as good. People don't go to the mall. You been to Burnsville Center recently? <laughs> like you could hold a sporting event in Burnsville Center and no one would even know it because like that's just, it's just that people don't go into the mall as much as they used to, all right? The fact is that Barna research in the Pew research, they talk about the fact that fewer people are going to church and the people who do go to church are going less frequently. So if the target, if the goal, if the thing we're firing at is how can we get people to go to a building for a service, then we're failing. And I would want to ask the question, was that the target ever in the first place? Is that, was, was that the purpose? It, is that the goal? Was that what God had in mind? Did he die so that people could show up to a building for a service? And I would say no. That is not what he did. And if you came in this morning because you felt like I should go to church, that would be the good Christian thing to do, and maybe I can check a box and feel better about myself, I just want you to know it's so much better than that. 
It was never meant to be that for you, all right? And, and we're going to talk about this idea of church over the next four weeks. We're going to take a break for Mother's Day, but for four weeks, we're going to talk about this. And this morning, we're going to start this conversation of what is the church really meant to be? What is it all about? And I think God wants to reignite some passion in our hearts for what his vision was, his idea was from the beginning, okay? Because it wasn't to, to put you to sleep, to listen to a boring guy talk on a stage. His desire was so much better than that, okay? So if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 is where we're going to be at, beginning in verse 13. As always, we are always going to open the Word of God and look at what He has to say. My ideas are not that important. It's what does God have to say. And so I would encourage you to bring a Bible with you. If you don't, you can always download the Bible app, Uversion Bible app on your phone, tablet, and open that with you. But would you stand with me as we're going to read our primary passage together this morning? Uh, there's nothing sacred about standing. It's just something I like to do just to honor and reverence God's Word when we read it together, okay? Beginning in verse 13 of Matthew 16, says this, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, that you say that your word is living and active. It is powerful. And so, God, I'm praying this morning that it would be living and active, God, that it would speak to our hearts Father, that we wouldn't just go through the routine of listening, but God, we truly would hear from you, God. Pray that in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen. You can be seated. Well, this is one of my favorite passages in Scripture, right? Favorite passage, you know, the gates of Hades. And I love it. I'm not a big King James guy, but man, this is a good one in King James. Look at what it says in King James. It says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, right? <clears throat> Any of you watch professional wrestling? You wouldn't admit it if you did anyways. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> this sounds like what like the professional wrestler guy would grab him by. Yeah. Mm, this is good, right? This is exciting. Okay. Uh, but I want to walk through this passage and break down what is really being said here. Okay. Uh, when you start this thing, Jesus is basically hanging out with his disciples. He's got his disciples with him. And he's talking to them. Okay. And he, he starts with this question, basically, what's the word on the street? <laughs> you know, what are people saying about me? He's asking, what's it? It's not that he's paranoid. It's not that he's not sure. He's, so what are people saying about me? What are you hearing these days? And so they, they reply and they say, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, all these different things. And then Jesus asks a very pointed question. He says this, who do you say I am? That's great what everybody else is saying. Who do you say I am? And this isn't the point of my message, but I got to stop here for a second because this is a critical answer, a question that every single one of us has to answer. Because who your mama says Jesus is doesn't really matter. Who your grandma says, who your spouse says, who your husband says, who your wife says, what, it doesn't really matter. What matters is who do you say he is? What do you say about Jesus? So Peter 
who's been following Jesus and got all these disciples. They've been hanging out with Jesus. They've been serving. They've been listening to his teaching, all this stuff. And for the very first time, Peter acknowledges, and it's as if there was a divine revelation of the, who is this Jesus, where he says, you are the Messiah. It's another word for you are the Christ, son of the living God. This understanding that Jesus isn't just like another guy. He's not just a teacher. It's none of these. He is literally the Messiah, the son of the living God, Okay. And then we go on to this third section, and, and Jesus goes, I tell you that you are Peter, and he makes this statement, which is very powerful. I want to look at the three parts. The first thing he says, he says, on this rock. What is he saying when he says, on this rock? The rock that he's referring to is this proclamation of who Jesus is. He says, there, this statement, this, this foundation that we are talking about, this is that rock that I am the Messiah. I am not just another guy. I am Jesus. I am the Son of God. I am God. Some people say, I've heard it said this, I am God in a bod, okay? That's who Jesus is. God in a bod. He says, on this rock, what's he going to do? Second part, he says, I will build. Listen, I'm doing something in the world, okay? I am literally doing, I'm doing a work. I'm, built, I'm, I'm building something right on top of me. I'm building something on top of myself, okay? It's about me, and I'm building this structure, okay? And then he goes on and says this, which is the most important and yet the most confusing part of this scripture. I will build my church. I will build my church. This word church is where we have a problem, okay? Because this may be one of the most misunderstood and misunderstood uh, misused words that we see in Scripture. And it's been this way for centuries. Uh, the original word in Greek that we see here for church is this. It's ekklesia. How many ever heard that word before? Ekklesia. A few of you heard that word before. Ekklesia. I'm going to be talking about this for, for the next little bit. And I, some of the thoughts came out of a book called Deep and Wide by Andy Stanley. He, he discusses this a little bit. But uh, this understanding of ekklesia is where we get lost and, and we miss things. Because ecclesia, you might be interested to know, is not a religious word. Like we think of church as a religious word. Well, the, uh, the root of the word that we have for church is not a religious word. It, it was actually a secular word and, and it's very prevalent in Greek culture, which the Bible was, a New Testament was uh, written originally in Greek. And this word ecclesia, it could refer to citizens called out uh, to gather for civic purposes, maybe running some political or you know, social structure of some sort. It could also refer to soldiers that were called out to gather for military purposes. Okay? And ecclesia was simply a gathering of people called out for a specific purpose. That's it. Okay? No religious connotations originally with this word. It was never meant to be a place uh, that you gather. It was never one of those. It was never meant to be a, a location. It was meant to be this movement of people, a gathering of people united by common identity and common purpose. That was what this word ecclesia means. But if you're like me, and I know you all are, okay, you, you might ask this question. Okay, if ecclesia means gathering or assembly, then why why do we see the word church in our Bible? Why don't we just say gathering or assembly every time that pops up? 
Good question, okay? Uh, I'm going to ask you a question first, okay? I want you to turn to your neighbor. You're going to take 10 seconds. Turn to your neighbor. I want you to tell your neighbor when you were in junior high or high school what your favorite subject was, okay? Turn to your neighbor. Tell your neighbor what your favorite subject was. Lunch doesn't count. All right, all right, all right. Where are the math geeks? Any math geeks out there? We got math geeks, okay? All right, who said lunch? Some of you probably did say lunch, that's fine. Right, who said English? Anybody like English? Okay. PE, who liked physical education? Yeah, that's right, that's great. Anybody like history? History, hey! History, good. I got a room of history buffs because we're about to have a history lesson, folks. Okay, if you didn't like history, sorry. Get over it. I'm going to give you two minutes of history here. Okay? The church started as the ecclesia of God, this movement of God's people, right? For the first several, uh, first se several centuries, that's what the church was. In fact, Christianity under the Roman Empire was completely illegal. Uh, it, was, it went from, you know, times where it wasn't quite as bad, but there were some times where it was really bad to be a Christian, okay? They were killing Christians all over the place, all right? And then we, you know, this is this movement. There was, it was illegal to go gather. So you would do things in homes and you'd gather small gatherings in different places. And then 313 takes place in a man named Constantine. How many ever heard the name Constantine before? The name Constantine. Constantine, in 313, uh, he stepped into a, 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 he wasn't the emperor at that point in time. He stepped into some leadership. And he put forth uh, this legislation that made uh, freedom of religion available for the people in Rome. So they could worship however they wanted to. And at this time, it kind of loosened the constraints a little bit. So Christians could begin to worship freely and not have to be quite so worried about things. Time went on, and Constantine, if some of you know, eventually became the emperor of Rome. And at one point, Constantine professed faith in Jesus. And within a matter of a few years, the Roman Empire went from just simply being freedom of religion to Constantine actually making Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. So it went from being you'd be persecuted if you were a Christian to suddenly all the big hobnobs, all the big people with all the money and the power and the influence, suddenly they were now Christians. And so when they wanted to gather as a church, guess where they got to gather now? The cool places, the big places, all those temples, some of those temples that once were used for pagan worship now suddenly became houses of worship for the church. You ever heard of the word basilica? The Latin word basilica, we got a basilica downtown. That was what they would call for these gathering places. And basilica is actually not a religious word either. That was also another name for a gathering place. But time went on and these houses were given, these places where you would show up to worship were given different names. Eventually, there was a word in the German language that became uh, prevalent, and that's this word kirke. Kirke, which literally means house of the Lord. This is a German word, okay? This word became one of the most common words for these places that you would go. And guess what this word is the root of? Church. Now, I want to ask you a question. When you see here, house of the Lord, if you were to associate house of the Lord with Old Testament or New Testament, which one does that sound more like? Old Testament. Because remember in the Old Testament, we had a temple. 
We had the tabernacle. It was this house of God that you would come to, this location, this place, because the presence of God was relegated to a location. Remember, he said, I will be, be in my temple, okay? In the New Testament, there's never language about this temple that we would go to. In fact, Jesus said, I'm going to tear this thing down, you know? Okay? He, there's this talk of this, this idea of a place, a house of the Lord. That's not really talked about in the New Testament. And so I want to read to you just... Uh, some comments that is in this book I'm, I'm mentioning, and, and I think this is just important for us to see this. This term, this Germanic term, the, the word kirka, which means house of the Lord, became the one used most often to refer to the ecclesia of Jesus. And from it, we get the word church. Whereas the majority of your English Bible is a word-for-word translation of the Greek text, not so in this case. The word church is not a translation from Greek. It's a substitution for the Greek, and a bad one at that. The German term kirche and the Greek term ekklesia refer to two very different ideas. A kirche is a location, and ekklesia is a purposeful gathering of people. You can lock the doors of a kirche. You cannot lock the doors of the ekklesia of Jesus, Okay. So am I saying, hey, we need to throw the word church out? No. But we do need to redefine it. We need to think differently of it. Because if we think a location, if we're thinking a building, we are sadly mistaken. And it is destructive. All right? And, and this is sad. The reason I'm giving you a history lesson this morning is because we have completely missed the point. The issue of bad translation and grammar has led us to have a totally wrong view of what church is. Okay? Okay? And so I want to get to our big so what right now. We're going to get to it a little bit early because I want, to, I want to rest here for a little while this morning. Remember, I say every time we talk, we're going to have a big so what. I don't ever want you asking the question, what was he talking about, okay? I'm going to be very clear every week. This is what I'm trying to say, okay? And here's the big so what. It's this. Don't go to church. Be the church. Say it out loud with me. Don't go to church. Be the church. Okay, this is simple. I get it. But we are going to sit here for a while because you and I, we might think, oh, yeah, Greg, I totally get that. But if we're honest, we still mess this one up at times. Our perspective gets off because, listen to this, the goal isn't services and locations and checked boxes. That was never the goal. Listen, Jesus didn't die for that. <laughs> he didn't die for services and location. He didn't die so that you could go to a building. He didn't die so that you could attend church. He died to rescue people, a gathering of people, a movement of people who were sold out to the mission of rescuing those who are far from God. That's what the church is meant to be, okay? Never meant to be a building, all right? He didn't die so that we could, you know, just show up on Sundays and sip some coffee. You know, he didn't die for that. I love coffee. That's not why he died. He didn't die so we could sing a couple songs. You know, he didn't die so that we could listen to a sermon for a few minutes and then hopefully we get out in time for lunch. That's not why he died. Those are good things in the process, but that isn't the ultimate goal that he had. He died for people who would accept the command to make disciples of Jesus. He died for people that would live for this this kingdom cause of reaching lost people. You're not called to be a church attender, and you're not called to fill a seat. 
You are called to be the church of Jesus Christ. That's what you're called to be, okay? So it's really good. Okay, well, that's good. We, can, we clap for that. That's good, okay? But let's get really practical for a second, okay? And you may learn this about me in time is that I don't mind meddling a little bit. So here I am. I'm about to meddle, okay? Okay, so because we can think, yep, I'm going to be the church. I'm going to be the church, okay? Problem is, when we have the mindset, and, and you might say, yep, yeah, be the church, but we can still have this thought, I'm going to go to church. I go to church, hey, what are you doing this morning? I'm going to church, going to church. That's fine. I don't mind saying that. This week, I was, as I was preparing, I told my kids about going to church, which I'm like, ah, I feel like I need to change my language or something, but I can't. Um, but here's, here's the problem, is that when we view ourselves as simply going to church, we instantly do the same thing that we do when we go to the movies or when we go to a play. We immediately become a critic. We say, I'm here, that's, that's my purpose. I, I'm here to view and, and give an assessment about what's going on. So what does that look like? I'm, I'm just going to meddle for a second. Man, the coffee was really good this morning. The coffee was really bad this morning. They gave us gart coffee, good. They, oh, there wasn't enough creamer. I didn't like the creamer. The creamer was a little old. That's no good. Okay, all right, fine. <laughs> Let's go to the lighting. The lights were too bright. The lights were too dim. The temperature, oh, it was a little hot. It was a little cold this morning. The parking was close. It was good. It was bad parking. I couldn't find a spot this morning. What are we going to do? The music, it was so loud. The music was so soft. They played the wrong songs. They played my favorite songs. That was so great. I love it when they play my songs. There's too many people here. There's not enough people here. There's too many scriptures in the message. There aren't enough scriptures in the message this morning. I like that, that preacher's jokes. That preacher is funny at all. <laughs> and it goes on and on and on and on, okay? And I'm only meddling because I've done the same thing. We all do this, right? We walk in the building and we begin to make judgment calls about everybody because when, we're, when we view ourselves as being going to church, we're just going to church and we, we miss the point. The point is to come and critique my preaching. Guess what? I work really hard Okay? I'm going to study really hard, and my desire is to bring you a word that is valuable, that is relevant to your life every single week. You can ask anybody in the office. Val, you can ask Val. I study. I'm not winging this thing up here. Okay, I am prepared, and I promise I will do that. But the goal is not to come and listen to me preach and then say, was it good or bad? That's not the goal. My role here is to prepare so that I could lift you up. I could impart something. I could encourage you in your faith some way. But guess what? That's all of our jobs. We are all called to be a part of this process. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10 says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. It goes on and says this, not giving up meeting together. That's what we're doing here. We're meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Listen, guys, it's hard. This world is hard. Like following Jesus in this world isn't always easy. How many of you get beat up this week? Like you get, you're like discouraged a little bit. Guess what? Why do we come here? To lift each other up, to encourage one another. So here's what happens when we realize we are the church and we don't go to church. When you walk in these doors, you're not walking around to say, man, I hope they have my favorite coffee. You're walking around to say, who can I lift up today? Who can I encourage? Who looks down? Who's sitting in the corner by himself that I can maybe be that encouragement? I could be that breath of fresh air. I could be that cup of cold water to somebody who is, who is desperately in need of somebody. Right? That's what it looks like to be the church. But it's more than just simply doing it in this building. This is one hour. One hour a week. That's it. 
Maybe two if I preach long, okay? But we are called to preach the gospel all week long with our lives, to live this thing, to be the church. Some of you, you're in places that I wish I could be. You know what? I love Val, who's our office manager, but guess what? She knows Jesus. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to get her saved this week, as hard as I might try, okay? Like, I have, to, I have to effort my way into relationship. Yesterday, I was happy. I got to take my kids for baseball pictures, which meant I got to interact with a bunch of people, the dads and stuff. Okay, I look forward to those opportunities. Guess what? You guys get to spend that all week long interacting with people that don't know Jesus, and you preach sermons that are far better than mine. Your life is a sermon. The way you live your life, that is a sermon to this world. You are breathing hope and life to this world when you don't just show up on Sundays, but you see your role, you see who you are really called to be, the ecclesia of God, the movement of God in this world. You are this massive gathering, this assembly that is spread out. The fingers are spread all over this world, sharing the hope of Jesus where it actually is needed. I want to get to the context of this verse because it's going to help speak that point a little bit clearer. This is one of my favorite things. I got the privilege of going to Israel uh, several years ago. And there was only a few places, uh, you know, some people go to Israel and they're like, oh, the whole thing was life-changing. It was all really good, but there was only a couple of places that were really life-changing for me. And, and one of them is where this takes place. It says at the beginning of the passage, it says that they're in Caesarea Philippi. I got to go to Caesarea Philippi, okay? In uh, Caesarea Philippi, if you, if you kind of study history at all, it was a horrible city. They worshiped the god Pan. That was the fertility god. This god was like half man, half goat. It was this kind of weird creature. And uh, in this city, as a part of their worship of this god and interacting, they would perform disgusting sexual things, okay? And uh, things uh, with animals. I'm not, I'm gonna, I see some kids, so I'm going to stop there, okay? You get what I'm saying, Okay? And this is where Jesus decides to take his disciples to have this conversation. Does that seem peculiar? And the disciples were Jews. Jews wouldn't hang out with a bunch of gross stuff like this. They wouldn't be around this stuff. Like, they would have avoided this city. That's what the city's known as. That's what it is. It's all about this, okay? There's a place in the city, though, which I find very interesting. I'm going to show you a picture here. I took this picture, okay? See up here? This is this cave. You see how there's water coming out of here? This cave is in Caesarea Philippi, and there's actually a spring at the back of this cave. And back when this period of time was taking place, there was a temple that was built in front of this cave. Okay? It was lined up right to this cave. And they would do what they would do, okay? Fill in the blanks, and they would sacrifice to the gods. And at the base of this spring, they believed that that spring was, was the entrance into the underworld into Hades. That's what they believed. And so they would actually take sacrifices and put them into the spring. And if that sacrifice went down into the spring, they believed that it was an acceptable gift to the underworld. Okay? This is what took place. You know what they called this place? The Gate of Hades. Okay. Now let's talk about the verse we were just talking about. You find it interesting that Jesus took his disciples to a place of utter brokenness 
where people were doing things that are unspeakable, unimaginable. He took them to that place, right in front of the literal gate of Hades. And he stood there and said, listen, folks, I will build my church. I don't care the situation. I don't care where you're at. I don't care what you're facing. This is a promise. Even in the midst of this, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, the literal gates of Hades will not overcome it. You want to talk about confidence in our God? And this is what Jesus, if he were to come here today, if he were going to come talk to us today, this is what he would say. He would say, I didn't call you to a clean, safe life. I didn't call you to simply be nice, moral church attenders. I didn't call you safely inside of a building. I have called you to go to the doorway of hell to rescue lost and broken people. That's what I've called you to do. And you can be sure that the gates of Hades will not overcome you. I never called you to a pew. I've called you to a purpose. I didn't call you to be a church attender. I have called you to be the church. And listen, folks, I don't want to play church around here, okay? If the goal for me being your pastor is so we can have nice services on the weekends, I shouldn't have come here. There is a lost world that needs Jesus. I met one of them yesterday. He's in a rough place in life, and he needs Jesus. He needs something new in his life. And it, last night, I was, I was praying for him. I was praying for him. I was saying, God, would you just break him? God, would you get him to the place where he knows that you are the hope of the world? Would you do that for him? And guess what? You know people like that. You know people that are living in the literal gates of Hades. They're going through hell right now. You know them. God has not called us just to be, well, bless you, bless you. He said, would you be the church? Would you bring this hope to people that really need it? To people that we would say, man, I don't, I don't even feel comfortable around that. It's okay. The disciples weren't comfortable in Caesarea Philippi. But Jesus said, I'm going to build my church anyway. And I'm looking for an ecclesia. I'm looking for a gathering. I'm looking for a people, a movement of God that's willing to go anywhere to bring the hope of Jesus. The image for this series, you notice it was a picture and it looks like a bunch of cars driving and headlights and stuff like that. Okay. There's a reason why that's the image for this. Because as I was thinking about this series, God just put this in my mind as a kind of just a hang on for this whole series. How many ever ha heard of a Ferrari? Heard of a Ferrari? Okay. All the little boys are like, I had my little Ferrari cars when I was, you know, my little matchbox cars. Super cool, very expensive cars. Italian-made cars, okay? Big old engines, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, eight hundred horsepower engines. They're amazing cars, okay? And in Italy, there is something known as the Ferrari Museum. You can go into the Ferrari Museum, and uh, it's massive. They have all these amazing cars. You know, these are some of the old ones that they have. Then you can get into the new section where they have just these just cutting-edge technology, all this kind of stuff. But when I saw this and I, and I thought about it, it made me think, this is how we are as a church too often. Because I'm pretty sure the guys who built these Ferraris, their dream wasn't like, I'm going to fine-tune this engine so it can park in a building for the rest of time. These cars weren't made to sit in a museum 
They were built to go do something, to get on the road and make a difference. That was what the call. And it, are we acting like these Ferraris? Is it possible that we've been okay with like, you know what, I'm, I'm fine just sitting in the building, being parked in the building? Or are we willing to be called and do what God's called us to do, to say, I'm going to hit the open road. I'm going to take this gospel where it needs to be. I'm going to take it into a broken and a lost world. We are called to be that, to be the ecclesia of God. Not simply to come to church. Man, Sundays are amazing. This is my favorite day of the week is getting to gather with you, but it's not because we get to put our time in. It's because there is an encouragement that happens here. When I get to see other believers who are going through, when I see you guys step forward and being prayed for and putting your hope in Jesus, that inspires my faith. And that's the goal, that we would gather together to lift each other up, to encourage one another, to be here for one another, to stand with one another. But we would walk out of these walls and actually be that to everybody else, to share this hope to the world around us. Listen, if you're, if you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus, I'm pretty confident that there is moments in time where we act like we're just going to church, okay? So I'm just going to assume we all need to respond to this in some way this morning. So I'm going to invite you all to stand with me at this time. Just stand with me. And as an act of surrender, I'm going to ask you, would you just place your hands out like this? And if it's your heart's desire to say, God, I don't, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to think about just going to church. God, I would truly want to be the church. If that's where you're at, I want you just to have a moment of repentance before God to say, God, I'm sorry for the times that maybe I have had the wrong perspective. Well, maybe I haven't thought the way that I should. Maybe I haven't seen things the way that I should. Just take a moment in your own words to just simply surrender yourself again to God. Forgive us. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Jesus. Forgive us, Jesus. Thank you, God. And I just want you to take a moment, and, and if it's truly your heart's desire, just to say, God, I offer myself to you again. God, I take the restraints off. I, I don't say I'm just going to do what I want to do. God, I want to do what you want, God. So just take a moment to do that. In your own words to God, just speak that to him. God, we come here to offer ourselves to you, Lord. God, we know that we live in a world that's broken because we know we're broken at times, Lord. God, I, uh, I just pray that you would help us to just change our mindset, change the way we think, to have your perspective, God. Father, that we wouldn't miss the mark by being concerned about checking boxes and, and going to buildings for services, but we would... God, we would focus on how can we live this thing out? How can we be what you've called us to be? How can we strip off the religious uh, just experiences, the religious ideas that we've had in the past and instead live this thing? Beginning in the morning to say, God, I'm here for you. How can I be used by you in my family? How can I be used by you in my work, in my school? How can I be used by you, God? When I come on Sunday mornings, hopefully the music is good. Hopefully the preaching is good. But God, I pray, how can I... How can I serve someone else? How can I lift someone else up, Lord? How can I encourage somebody? Help us to do that, God, that we would be the church, Father, that we would be the church. Pray that in your name, God.